Black and white and red all over. Ian Murta. He can talk football all day. Well, hello again. This is the Black and White and Red All Over show. It's the only radio show in the region which focuses on all three of our big clubs in the northeast. And you know, I've got a fair idea how the fans of the respective clubs are feeling right now. Geordies, well, I think there'll be a little bit of relief because, let's face it, you weren't looking forward to the derby last week. Nothing to win, everything to lose in one sense. But it was a stroll. There'll also be a sense of frustration. On paper, you're the richest club in the world and you can't spend the money because of the profit and sustainability rules. We'll be talking about that with our guest in the second half of the show, Luke Edwards. Middlesbrough fans, well, I think you'll be filled with a sense of pride after two very, very impressive performances against Premier League sides in the FA Cup and, of course, the 1-0 victory over Chelsea in the Carabao Cup. There'll also be optimism, but it'll be optimism of the cautious kind. Middlesbrough fans are realists, and you know that despite the 1-0 win on Tuesday night, you still will be heading to Stamford Bridge very much as underdogs against the Chelsea side, who've yet to fire this season, but potentially they could do it any time. Sunderland, well, the, t- the weird time derby in the third round of the FA Cup was meant to be the game where Sunderland had nothing to lose. Well, I'm sorry, but that, they lost everything. Sunderland fans must be feeling very bruised because, let's face it, Sunderland had a stinker on and off the pitch. Within five minutes, you could tell the players froze. They, they weren't going to play their normal passing game, which has been so impressive this season. And, of course, it's been well documented what happened off the pitch with the 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 farce over decorating the North Stand with black and white colours. Now, I will say this, the Sunderland fans were absolutely magnificent. It was a tremendous atmosphere, at least until Newcastle scored. But it's not been a great week for Sunderland fans. It certainly has been a great week for everyone in Middlesbrough's colours. Now, last week I made an apology to Smoggies. I said, I'm sorry, you've got a big game against Villa coming up, but... This show is going to be about the first FA Cup tie between Newcastle and Sunderland in 70 years. And we barely mentioned Middlesbrough. Well, we'll compensate this week. And my first guest is, well, I would call him a Northeast legend, maybe an unsung legend. It's the former academy director at Middlesbrough, Dave Parnaby, who has discovered a conveyor belt of talent over the years. When he retired in 2017, I think he held the distinction of being the longest-running academy director in the whole country. And, of course, I see him every time I turn up at Middlesbrough. He still keeps a very active eye on the club. And I'm very, very interested to hear your thoughts about what has been a very momentous week about your club. Hello, David, and welcome to the show. Hi, Ian. Hi, Ian. Thanks for that introduction. Very nice. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, Dave, I couldn't have picked a better week, could I? Uh, very, very good, yeah. Um, the club are in good hands. Well, they always have been in good hands, Ian, with Steve Gibson at the, at yes. the helm. Sad news this week, though. Keith, La- Keith Lamb's passing, our former chief executive. Yes. Um, Keith was my first boss. Of uh, course. He's had a long illness with Alzheimer's. And um, I know. I know. sadly, sadly passed away. But he, he was um, instrumental in everything that was that was um, progressive about Middlesbrough Football Club. The um, the signing of Brian Robson, the building of the stadium, um, the development of a fantastic training ground. 
Keith was instrumental in all of that and led all of it. And he was instrumental in signing all the all the stars, as it were, in the in the period, you know, the the two thousands, um, the early two thousands. I can remember Dave but, uh, before an England Scotland match a few years ago, going to see him before his illness, and to do an interview with him because it was Gordon Strachan against Gareth mm-hmm. Southgate, England Scotland. I said, uh-huh. "Managers, you both appointed and fired." And before he let me into his lounge, he made me clear, uh, help him clear all the leaves, <laughs> help me in his front <laughs> drive before we started the interview. So I've got yeah. very happy memories of this, of the last time I saw Keith. Yeah, so the club's always been in good hands with Steve and Keith and now Neil Bowser as chief exec. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of um, management and coaching, um, we've had a, a fair few over the years. Um, I had, a, I think I encountered six. But in the current the current regime, Michael Carrick and his um, his backroom staff have done the have done the club proud. And like you say, the the week that we've just had uh, won an FA Cup tie against Aston Villa. Uh, which we matched them stride for stride. Um, and then a, a fantastic performance, second half, I thought, against Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Defensively, uh, outstanding second half. Could have, We got away with one or two things first half, but um, second half, um, the organisation, the discipline, their, their know-how, um, was a great credit to the coaching staff of Michael Carrick, Jonathan Woodgate, Aaron Danks, Alan Fettis, Grant Ledbetter. Yes. Um, I couldn't agree. They all they, they all need a big pat on the back, and obviously, what, as you said in the intro, the the trip to Stanford Bridge, uh, it's going to be a tough, tough watch. It's going to be a tough ninety minutes. It is. Um, but with with that second half display, if they can repeat that, who knows? Well, I think for any championship club these days to beat a Premier League club, you do need some good fortune on your side, and of course, had Cole Palmer not put his boots on the wrong feet. Chelsea could well have gone got away with a win. But what I, what I love about Carrick's sides is he sets them up so well. You know, I remember talking to you. We were sitting alongside each other in the press box for the Leicester game. And I thought that was such a clever, clever game plan by Michael, who is essentially still a rookie mm. head coach, isn't he? And he, he, yeah. he tried the same against Aston Villa. It almost came off. Although, in my opinion, I never I never saw an upset in the air that day. Against Chelsea, mm. it was different, of course. You mentioned the second half, but uh, this start, Middlesbrough started off like a house on fire. And there's great passion in, in the side. There's tremendous industry. And OK, they might not have the quality of Chelsea, but when you see the team spirit there and you see the way they work for each other, they'll sacrifice themselves for a teammate. It really does all go well. Yeah, it does. Michael brings a, an air of confidence. He, he remember where, he, where he's come from. You know, his last, his last job before he came to Middlesbrough was first-team coach at Manchester United. Yes. And, and, and his playing career itself is just... He's been there, done it, and got all the T-shirts. And um, he never seemed flustered. He's very calm, very measured. Um, the coaching team seem really together. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, from what I hear and, what I sp- and the people I speak to, everything is discussed. He shares everything. Uh, he is the main man. Yes. Um, and Michael's Michael's the leader. I, but I think the North East are, are good. You know, Eddie Howe and his team have proven, you know, that um, how to develop and how to um, get the best out of players. 
yes. Sunderland, Sunderland, are, Sunderland are in transition. Yes. Um, but the, but the, the admirable thing about Sunderland is that they've got a plan. They're sticking to it. Oh, and you can then you can and you can take your hats off to that. Um, a bit yes, mystified we, we, about every everyone's mystified about. Well, uh, we Tony are, aren't we? But we are. But, we're mystified um, and sad. Yeah, but Michael Michael Beale comes with a good reputation. Um, mm-hmm. I saw them against Leeds at um, uh, the Stadium of Light, and a little bit like like I'm praising Michael for his organisation. Michael Dodds was in charge that night, and the the organisation and the discipline of Sunderland that night was uh, was very 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 good. Um, yes, that's right. So I, I remember yeah. I remember talking about that. It was very much a triumph of of the um, of the game plan. Let, let's let's mm. just talk because you know. Michael Carrick, we've often said on this show, Dave, that he manages in the same way that he plays, very cool, calm, collected, mm. possibly, people might say, even cold. Now, we saw a very different side to him after, the, after Hayden Hackney's goal the other night. And you know what? I think Borough fans loved it. He was, he was punching the air, clenched fist, mm. he, and he was emotional after the game. And, you know, yeah, he, yeah. he has he's basically... That, the club has got under his skin, hasn't it? Yeah, that's that, that's the player coming out in, out in him. You know yeah. the the, yeah. the emotions of the player. Funny enough, when I going back a few years now, in, in 1997, 96, mm-hmm. 97, um, I actually I was I was working part time for Sheffield Wednesday, but we used to run the Centre of Excellence from Gateshead Stadium. Clive mm-hmm. Clive Baker was head of youth at Sheffield Wednesday. And we courted um, Michael and his dad for a, quite a number of weeks. Um, Clive was desperate really? to sign him. We were desperate to sign Michael. Um, but he, he was always going to go to West Ham. Mm-hmm. And then I came across Michael again in the when I was manager of Eng- the England under-15s. Mm-hmm. Michael came into the early stage when I was assistant manager. Um, he came as a number nine, would you believe? A very leggy, uh, long, gangly, very, very technical number nine. Um, mm-hmm. He came along to those get the trials. He, I think, he made it to the last thirty-two. I think um, ne- ne- never was never picked for the, the first group. But Tony Carr at West Ham and his staff developed a wonderful, wonderful midfield player, and um, his record speaks for itself as a player. Mm. Well, I know people who knew him at Walls and Boys Club, Dave, and they said he, he right from the outset he was a creature of good habits, and he he maintained those good habits right through an illustrious playing career, and he's taken them into into management as well. You know, mm-hmm. he is a very impressive character. Yeah, okay, from a press point of view, sometimes you want him to, to you you'd like him to uh, try for hit a six rather than play the straight bat all the time. But we all like him, and and I think you know to come through what he came through earlier this season when Middlesbrough were losing every week, and he he was unflustered. He he didn't do what a lot of managers resort to uh, have a go at his players to deflect attention off him. He was just the same as he was last season when he was winning every week, and and you know, and I think that's paid dividends really with the with the playing staff. Mm-hmm. And Steve, uh, Steve always sticks with his managers. He always supports them. He's always with them until he mm-hmm. you know until he, he can't go any further. I mean, um, but nothing he, he, he stick with Michael. He'll stick with Michael you, through thick and thin. You always feel when Steve Gibson does wield the axe, it's with a great reluctance. And I mean, you know, Middlesbrough have gone through the managers. Let's face it, in in the last decade, and you always you always suspect that Steve wanted someone there who could be a long a long term 
tenure. And, and let's hope Michael mm. Carrick's the, the guy who is that person. I think Steve, um, my own personal opinion, one of Steve's biggest challenges is to keep Michael. Um, yeah, absolutely. If if he keeps developing the way he is as a coach and as a man manager, um, Steve, I think Steve knows he's got his absolute gem gem on his hands. Mm. Yes, I mean let let's face it, you know, he could quite conceivably be the next Manchester United manager. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure. I'm sure. Later on, uh, Manchester. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure Manchester United have got him on the radar. But I think the, the the English scene, I think there's there's lots and lots of good young up and coming coaches who are leading their clubs. You know, Michael Carrick, Eddie Howe, Michael Eddie Bill Howe, we've mentioned, but yes. Leroy Rossini, Mark Robbins, Rob Edwards yes. at Luton, Russell I'm glad Martin. You Mark Robbins because he's been very impressive, even if he's been a, a little bit of a thorn in the side of uh, Middlesbrough. Mm. Yeah, his assistant, Eddie Givash, um, who played lower leagues, um, mm-hmm. I came across Eddie, but Eddie's the, he's a real coaching, um, he's, the, he's the thinking behind the coaching, and uh, he was with Chelsea under under 21s when I first met Eddie, but very impressive Chelsea sides when, when we went through. Um, and and uh, obviously Leicester have made a, a really, really shrewd move with uh, Maresca. Yes. Um, yeah. Spent all his time with them um, Guardiola doesn't um pick them pick them very easily but he picked um Maresca as his assistant yes. and of course Kieran yeah. McKenna who was Michael's Michael's, Michael's yes, core coach that's at, right um, Mike, and and Kieran's doing very very well at um, Ipswich that's and, right um, uh, Carla Carlos Cabrera at West Brom all very very good up and coming coaches in the English game which is great let, let, let's talk mm. about your specialty, which is identifying and nurturing young talent. And you, you, you know, you have discovered an awful lot of players over the years at Middlesbrough, Stuart Downing, League Catterbell, of course. You brought for, you, your son Stuart Parnaby, who played in the uh, in the UEFA Cup final. But let, let, let's talk about Hayden Hackney. Now, Hayden Hackney has had an awful lot of uh, publicity this this week, and he's already mm. being linked to a host of, of top clubs. How good, and of course, at the risk of uh, promoting him even more, how good is Hayden and how good can he be? Yeah, I can just go back a little bit there, Ian. Yeah. Is that my, my job at Middlesbrough was to organise a, a structure for the academy. I, I was yes. so, so lucky that Steve Gibson came to me and I, I was um, very, very privileged to take the role as academy manager at um, Middlesbrough. But the... The staff behind it, Ron Bourne, Martin Ron Carter. Ron Bourne, of course, um, yes. They're the, they're the talent ID. They're the, they were the real eyes for the talent. Um, mm. And with it, and a, a, along with a real talented group of staff and coaches in all the departments, medical, sports, science, education, they all played their part. Um, I simply had to put a structure together and do a little bit of coaching here and there. And um, we, were, we, we were very patient. We we relied on Ron and Martin to identify the potential, and then our big thing was you know potential and then patience, um, and obviously the boys the boys that came through were were very very particularly uh, for talented Hayden Hackney. Hayden came started his career um, with us when I was there. Um, he's had a a real real steady progression all the way through. Um, his his potential is um, coming to fruition now. Um, yes, I thought he would. I thought Scotland would have took him into the senior squad because he does qualify for Scotland. 
Um, his mum, that's right, yeah. Yeah. And he's um, he's chosen to play for England. Um, so he played for them um, recently in a tournament when they won 9-1. Nine, nine, but he's, right. um, his calmness, his assurance, his energy, um, he looks like a leader now. Another shrewd move by Michael Carrick, giving him the armband against Chelsea. Giving him the armband, that's right, I thought. Robert which, uh, and he, I, I know from inner circles that they, they, they absolutely think the world of him. And he's got great potential. I um, think he energises the very, very side. You know, when, he does, when, he, he's been you, missing You notice his weeks. absence. Mm. You notice his absence, don't yeah, you? Yeah. I mean, you, you've mm. got Housen, who's a steady hand. and But to bring a little bit of energy, he... Hackney, that is his great, great quality. He he reminds mm. me, and I'm talk, I'm talking to our older listeners here. He reminds me a little bit of the the, the Liverpool great Terry McDermott, the way he he All makes right. his runs, yeah, yeah. and of course, I mean, a television highlighted the wonderful stop-start run he made to get into the box and be on the end of Isaiah Jones's cross, which. It, you know, it wasn't simply a case of anticipation. It was trying to put off the defender as well. It was a tremendous run. And, of course, the way he rotated his body to, to guide the ball mm. in the net was, was no, took no little skill either. No, um, you mentioned Johnny Housen. Johnny Housen has been a really, really fantastic mentor for, for Hayden, uh, playing alongside him. If you watched his early games when he first came into the team, it was almost head up, find Johnny House, and um, almost with every pass. And Johnny's looked after him. He's a great ambassador yeah. for the club, but he, he's also a great example to follow. I'm, I've also got to say that I'm I'm really really pleased that the club have continued under Craig Little and his staff to to develop mm -hmm. players. If you look at the first team squad, you got Hayden Hackney, Dale Fry, Isaiah yes. Jones, and if you look at the team sheet, Law McCabe, Callum Kavanagh. Yeah. Finley Cartwright, right. quite a few going. Brian, yes. Belongo, AJ Bridge, and then obviously I'm, I'm keen on the northeast to do well. And Newcastle with Lewis Miley, uh, Paul Dummett, Sean Longstaff, Elliot Anderson, yes. um, all all coming through. And then Sunderland, Sunderland as well. Anthony Patterson, Elliot Embleton, who sadly got a bad He's injury. Ellis injury Taylor. Problems, then there's Dan a real, Neil, real stark, yeah. stark, stark coming through is uh, Chris Rigg, Dan Neil. Yes. Um, so youth development in the northeast seems to be in in good hands it, for in all the in the, the the big three, as they say. Yeah. Let, let, let's. I mean, you're a you're a dome lad, and uh, and I do know you keep a close eye on, on the other clubs. Let's talk about the the, the Sunderland model before you go. I will be asking you for predictions for the three games tomorrow which I ask all my guests <laughs> but, and uh, most of them get them wrong like me but uh, we're not expecting you to get yours wrong with your experience <laughs> but, let, 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 no pressure again, eh? no pressure <laughs> no pressure but you know that model at Sunderland it's a it, it, it's a very exciting model, but it's a very rigid model isn't it I mean Michael Beale was asked yesterday you know what are you going to do about bringing in a proven centre forward and what he said it made sense he said when we bring in players, we want to bring in players who are on the way up rather than in decline. And that does make, that makes real sense. But it's, it's obviously more of a gamble as well. And, you know, the Sunderland players, they didn't do themselves justice up against Newcastle last week. I thought they would do better than they did. I didn't think they'd mm. win, but I thought they would walk off the pitch with their heads held high. And in the end, they, they walked off the pitch a well-beaten side. Was that a case of inexperience or was it just basically this the the class chasm that was there between the two teams 
Um, if I can, if I can just go back a step into the Leeds game yeah. I watched. Um, yes. It was a it was a game where Michael Dodd set up not to lose counter attack, and it's easier to do that as a coach than to actually go on the front foot and win the game. Playing against Newcastle at the Stadium of Light for the first time in how many years? Um, to to set up to win against Newcastle was a harder task, but he had to. I think yes. he had to try and win. But um, I've got to say that the. the I was privileged to see Newcastle play PSG at the um, at St James's. Yes. And the power, the power, the pace, the pressure that um, Newcastle were able to apply because of their physicality, as well as their tactic, tactical know-how, was so impressive. Mm. And Sunderland couldn't cope with that. They just, they just could not cope, and they were. It looked a really, really um, Premier League against a. Um, a, a team in transition, I would say. Um, but going back to the planet Sunderland, I take my hat off to the, the chairman. I think if more clubs had plans, better plans, strategic plans for the, for the betterment of the club, uh, instead of changing managers here, there and everywhere, just a long-term strategy, which Sunderland obviously have. Um, can they can they get out of the league with the strategy? I'm not sure. Um, I hope they do, because um, believe it or not, Ian, when I was a, a young boy growing up in the mining, mining villages of Durham, um, I was a Sunderland fanatic. Um, yeah. Jim Jim Baxter was my idol, so I've always mm. got a soft spot for Sunderland. Yeah. Right, but uh, obviously not the Middlesbrough's expense. I mean, clearly there's, there's only good the the, uh, the automatic places look look gone. Leicester and either Ipswich. I would think Leeds or Southampton, but I don't think Middlesbrough or Southampton are capable of getting second spot behind Leicester. So there is going to be only one spot in the playoffs available for the two North East rivals, aren't there? Mm, possibly. I mean, you, you just never know. There's lots and lots of game play. And mm. um, you, just need, you just need one of those remarkable runs to to get you in there. And a lot of good luck, good fortune. Um, but you, you just don't know, Yeah. Let's let's talk about tomorrow's games. We'll start with Middlesbrough. I thought Michael Carrick spoke a lot of common sense as ever yesterday when he said it's a skill in itself to try and bring a, a, a group of players down to earth after a midweek high. Uh, Millwall is certainly a down to earth fixture. They they are they are your typical championship side and they're in good form. They haven't lost for a while and uh, they've got a pretty good home record. So. It's not going to be easy for a side whose only consistency in the league is in, in their inconsistency. Mm, yeah, really, really tough game. Ian. Every, everyone knows going to Millwall for many, many, many years now is not a pleasant experience. Um, but I'm sure Michael and his staff will have got the lads back down to earth. They'll know who's fresh. They'll know who wants resting. At the end of the game, there was a there was a lot of saw limbs around the the place at the Riverside. Um, especially J Josh Corburn, I noticed, was limping at the end. So I hope he's fit, who, who did particularly mm. well. Um, he puts a shift But in, I think if, if Michael can set up, um, we can counter it. We are good at counter-attacking. Um, yes. If we could come away with a 1-0 a win or a 0-0, um, a, a um, I think the, the coaching staff would be very, very pleased. 
Absolutely. And, you know, Middlesbrough may be stuck in mid-table, I think 12th place at the moment, but, you know, they're, they're just off the playoffs and it's so tight up there. Mm, without a doubt. Without a doubt. And uh, like you say, Leicester, Leicester impressed me uh, when they played at the Riverside. Yeah. Very, very well organised, very brave on the ball, very brave with their pushing men into midfield, sometimes leaving 1v1 at the back. Um, but he's, he's very um, adventurous, very creative, Maresca. Uh, and obviously learnt, learnt his trade from the best in Guardiola. The best. Yeah, I think, I think they, are the, they are the Premier League club in the Championship. And uh, yeah. I think they've got mm. top spots already sorted. Mm. But let, let's talk Sunderland. You briefly talked about Kieran McKenna, who's been yeah. doing an outstanding job at Ipswich. Ipswich... They, they've stalled a little bit. They're not losing, but they're drawing games now that that a few weeks mm-hmm. ago they were winning. So, so Sunderland go there. Yes, they've got mental scars from the Derby defeat, but do they go there with hope? Oh, well, I think so, yeah. I, th- I think what you, s- you said about Ipswich is right. I think the, the promotion, uh, lots and lots of wins behind behind them in the, in the league below. Uh, for starting the championship, was dramatic and winning every game every week. Um, Kieran's done particularly well um, getting them this far. Um, and I think you're right what you're saying, Ian, about someone being scarred. Are, are they mentally okay to go into such a big game? Um, we don't know. Again, 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 the the job of the coaching staff is to get them well organised, do their analysis, find out what Ipswich are all about, make sure they're nice and nice and tight. Um, don't give much away, um, but they've got some. They've got some really, really good talent. And um, Sunderland, like Middlesbrough tomorrow, um, will I think look on the on the counter attack um, with with um, Jack Clark, uh, Roberts, etc. Um, yes. So I, I think again, I, I would have to say a very similar type of game um, to the Sunderland game is if they can go there and come away with it. Zero zero one nil victory one each. Uh, Sunderland would be very very satisfied. Now Newcastle, Dave, are playing the best side in the world at St James's Park at five thirty tomorrow evening. Mm. Uh, they will be up against Kevin De Bruyne, play, likely to make his first start since August. And Newcastle are going to be without Joe Linton, who, as Eddie Howe says himself, is the driving force of the team. Does that make it mission impossible? For Newcastle, I don't think anything's impossible for Newcastle. I think mm-hmm. when when they all fire, when I when I saw them against PSG, they were amazing, and the the fifty two thousand behind them, any any Newcastle can beat anyone, including the best club in the world. You know, the best team in the world. Um, I think a little bit different to to anything else. Anyone playing against Man City don't see a lot of the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, so most teams who play, whether you're playing at home or away against Man City, um, will set up to make sure that there's an area between the goal and, say, 30 yards from goal is very, very yeah. hard to penetrate. It'll be compact. Manchester City will have a hell of a lot of the ball. Um, but Eddie Howe... Um, Graham Jones, Jason Tindall, they'll have done their homework. They'll be setting up to make sure that um, they're capable of coming away with something. Um, 
And again, if New, I'm, I'm like a parody. I'm repeating myself, but if Newcastle <laughs> could come away with a, a one-nil home win or a zero-zero, that would be that would be very, very good. Yeah. It will, and of course, Newcastle. Uh, I was at the uh, the Carabao Cup game earlier this season when City dominated them in the first half, but Newcastle ended up uh, knocking knocking City out of the out of the cup, and mm-hmm. so they've already beaten them once. And as 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 you say. I don't think you're expecting too many goals from our three sides this week. Maybe more points than goals. Yeah, as I say, Newcastle are capable of it. And I've got a real soft spot for, for Newcastle. Um, I was born in a village called Kello, and I nearly became a mag when I was when I was young. My grandfather, who was the village barber, uh, mm. was his very his best friend was Sir Stan Seymour. Um, really? Who? Yeah, yeah. Stan Seymour lived in Kello. And I've right. um, I've got a I've got a Newcastle brochure upstairs. I've got a two two or three postcards signed by Stan Seymour to me granddad. Uh, they used to play billiards together, um, um, but he was born and bred in Kello and uh, eventually became the chairman of the club. Um, mm-hmm. And I've got a I've got a picture I inherited from my granddad um, of Stan Seymour in a sepia sort of coloured frame. Right. And it's when he went to, when he went to Greenock Morton um, as a player. So I've got I've got I've got sort of connections in in all three in some kind of way um, with uh, Stan Seymour, the Newcastle connection, and then my love of Jim Baxter to Sunderland, and then um, obviously <laughs> my my working career at um, at Middlesbrough. Well, you you plus plus, plus plus the fact my my eldest brother Alan, who sadly died of motor neuron in 1997. He was yeah. the only Middlesbrough supporter in the village, and uh, the right. following after, the year after he died, it was like fate. I, I took the job at Middlesbrough, so but I'm 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 a staunch Middlesbrough man. Now. Yeah. But you're a, you're a true son of the northeast as well. It's been a pleasure having you on my show, Dave, and uh, and I'll see you next time I'm at the Riverside. Ah, I'll see you at the Riverside. Thanks for your time, Ian. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. A proper northeast legend, uh, Dave. Yeah, a uh, legend. A great guy. I bumped into many times when I was doing the uh, the Sky Sports work and the football commentary work on the radio. Yeah. Um, and you heard what Lee Clark said on the uh, the Three Legends about Dave. Yes. When he, by he, the way, he just, have you just ever, one word. He said class. And have you ever seen a younger sixty-seven year old in your oh. life? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Unbelievable. I'd love to. I'd, I'd love to have a, a glass of what he's had. Yeah. Bet you've had a good week, Dave. Uh, great week, great week. Um, obviously, being a Borough fan, um, watching the performance against Villa, that was uh, that was really pleasing. I went into that game thinking the last thing I want, uh, you might be surprised to hear, is a replay. I'd rather have had a really good performance but a close uh, defeat than a replay. I think the Borough, with the legs that they've got, uh, with the amount of players that are out and the running that's been done by the same group of players, I think the last thing they needed was another game on top of this. Um, so the way they performed against Villa was uh, was fantastic. Uh, yes, it was a one 0 defeat, but uh, pride attached to that. So that was great. And then Chelsea came along. Enough said. Do you know I was right because of the five thirty kickoff for the Villa game and the, the deadlines of Sunday papers. I had to send on the whistle, and there wasn't any time during the game I felt Villa were going to cause an upset. I thought yes, they played competent football but I always felt Phil had the, the upper hand and I wrote my report in that way having said that when I watched the highlights again 
and listened to other people. I thought maybe I was a little bit harsh on Boa and I wasn't surprised at the way they reacted against Chelsea and it didn't totally surprise me that they'd beat them. I didn't get the feeling the Borough were going to beat Villa. Uh, you just got that feeling. So I'd agree with you how, you how you set out writing your piece. I just had that feeling it was... I thought at one point, I thought towards the end, it was it was destined to go the full distance uh, and a replay would be needed, even though that's not what I wanted. Um, but yeah, look, Villa were by far the better team. They had the lion's share of the possession. They've got the yeah. better players. They've got the better squad, etc., etc. You could tell uh, there was a huge difference between... Uh, the two sides but um, you know Borough battled through and they had the determination they had the self-belief they could do a job they had the tactics almost spot on um, it just fell short towards the end but then Chelsea came along and um, I was sitting on the riverside watching it and it didn't take long I mean Latte last got injured but that that long very early chance, run yes. forward with yeah. a goal scoring chance and at that point I'm thinking this Chelsea side are um very much inconsistent in the Premier League so there is a chance and I really truly believed something could be got out of the Chelsea game and have you booked your hotel for for the Wembley final next month Dave <laughs> do you know what I did that last year for the playoffs and had to cancel it this year I've not done it because I just couldn't see us getting past Chelsea but there you go uh, it's going to cost me an arm and a leg if it comes round and can we if uh, if Boa get there can we present the show from London <laughs> I'll put you on the spot there. I'll put you on the spot there. Let's let's have a commercial break and we'll talk about it off air. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll do something, don't you worry. Uh a quick break. It is black and white and red all over. Uh, right across the northeast on the cat, the red and the tune. Uh Ian Murta, uh, thirty eight years, writing about northeast football, and another guest to come in. We'll do that next. Whoa, Celestial, Celestial Windows. How do you fancy winning a three-month radio advertising campaign on The Cat, The Toon and The Red? Well, to celebrate the new year, we're offering a three-month radio advertising campaign for businesses in the Northeast, all for free. Full details are on our websites, thecatuk.com, thetoonuk.com and theredduk.com. You're listening to The Cat, The Toon and The Red and so are your customers. So come and get your business heard with free advertising on The Cat, The Tune and The Red to over 1.6 million people in the region. Those websites again, it's easy. TheCatUK.com, TheToonUK.com and TheRedUK.com. Have you fancied presenting your own radio show? Well, you could well be presenting this very programme. How do you fancy joining a growing list of fantastic radio presenters? I don't want to hear after four or five games in the manager ever saying we need to restart and reboot. It is early days. <laughs> the cup run. The don't let me. Run. It is. Don't let me. <laughs> the Cat is all about Wearside. And at times, the Black Cats too. The Tune is all about Tyneside. And at times, Newcastle United too. The Red is all about Teesside. And at times, the Borough. 
Barrett too. So come on, if you're confident you could present this very show, reach out, get in touch. Email any of the three stations. That's hello at thetooneuk.com, hello at thecatuk.com, or hello at theredyuk.com. Black and white and red all over. Three decades of reporting Northeast football. Ian Murta. The cat, the tune, and the red. Well, you can't switch on the radio these days without hearing the dulcet tones of my next guest. But uh, the Daily Telegraph's Luke Edwards assures me that the red, the black, the white, and the red all over show is his favourite. Correct, Luke? Something like that, Ian. Yes. Good evening. How are you? <laughs> I'm very well. It's been a, a another busy week in the life of northeast football journalists. And mm. uh, my earlier guest uh, was Dave Parnaby. We've been waxing lyrical about Middlesbrough, which was very convenient considering last week was all about the weird time derby. But uh, so let let's talk about Middlesbrough. I'm going to ask yeah. a question, a straight question. I want a straight answer. Can Middlesbrough reach the cup final? Yes, they can. Yes, I think mm. that one goal. That one goal lead, I think Chelsea all season really have struggled to cope with teams that defend the edge of their own area, which is what Middlesbrough did brilliantly in the the second half, certainly at the Riverside. Um, I think you saw it with Newcastle in the quarterfinal of the Carabao Cup once Newcastle went Mm -hmm. ahead to conserve energy because they're in the middle of that gruelling run. They just defended the edge of their own area. Hadn't that been for Kieran Trippier's? Uh, brain freeze moment. Um, they would have been in the semi-final too. So yeah, I think I think mm. Middlesbrough got every every chance. This isn't the Chelsea team of old, not the sum of its parts. Sort of labouring under Pochettino. Chelsea's home record is good. That is the one thing that Pochettino seems to have improved yeah. really. So it will be really really tough. But yeah, I think with a one 0 lead, they've got every chance. And you mentioned it quite correctly that you know they are a team of individuals. But on the other hand, Middlesbrough who aren't as strong on paper as they were last season. They are ravaged by injuries, like Newcastle, of course. They are very much a team under Carrick where the whole does appear to be greater than some of the parts. Yeah, I think he's done a really good job. And um, I think the last time I came on in, I I don't think we can underestimate how good a job he's done. If you ask any manager who's been in the game for any length of period of time, if you lost your centre-forward... Uh, your your best defender or certainly attacking fullback in Giles you lost Akpom your top goal scorer you lost Cameron Archer who was on loan you take those three players out alone out of a team any team um, and how important they were for Middlesbrough to lose all your goals at the start of the season certainly is really really tough and he had that really difficult spell really difficult opening to the season and you're sort of looking mm-hmm. at it thinking how's he going to respond We've seen so many managers, young managers of that generation fail, haven't we? Lampard, Gerrard, Rooney, um, players Carrick played with. He but does he, seem the exception to the doesn't he? Yes. Yeah, he does. Mm. And it, yeah, and I think I, I think he's. I, I'm like glad to see that Middlesbrough are backing him in, you know, in, in the January transfer window as well. Um, so yeah, Luke Ayling, I think, will be a great signing for them. Brilliant Very shrewd. At Very that shrewd level. So yeah, yes. I think it certainly bodes well. But I've just been really impressed with the way Michael Carrick's conducted himself. And look, the great thing about going down to Stamford Bridge is they're not expected to win still. So there's no pressure. I know that's a cliche, mm. but there is no pressure. They know what they've got to do. Oh yeah, um, right. and. And I think they, they've given themselves a wonderful opportunity of, of getting back to a League Cup final. Well, it, it's true that, I mean, it, it's it's obviously more pertinent in the old days when uh, when away goals counted double. But it's amazing, if you look at the stats, 
a one nil home win, how often it is enough? And you know, yeah, Middlesbrough, well, it, yeah. if yeah. if they get a goal, then all of a sudden it becomes a very hard game for Chelsea. Well, Chelsea's weakness is, as I say, breaking teams down and teams that can break quickly. And I think if Middlesbrough had, had a, just that little bit more quality up the top end of the pitch on uh, on Tuesday night, I think they would have scored a second goal. I think Chelsea leave themselves open, um, ridiculously so, really, um, and just don't seem to have worked out how to break teams down and stay secure at the back. So there is a blueprint to beat Chelsea. Middlesbrough used it to perfection, really. Uh, on Tuesday, and they will they will stick to the same blueprint in the second leg, and that has been Chelsea's Achilles heel all season. So, I think it's really nicely set up that that semi final second leg. I agree with you. We'll we'll come on to Middlesbrough later in the game at at Millwall tomorrow. But um, Newcastle fans are a frustrated bunch at the moment because they've got rich owners, and as long as the Saudis are in charge, Newcastle have very very deep pockets. But the profit and sustainability rules, as Darren Eels emphasised yesterday, does complicate issues. Now, I think there is, I think there's a there's a myth going on that Newcastle fans believe that the rules were written after the takeover. They were there before the takeover. Yes, they do hinder Newcastle badly, but they have always been there, and they're not there purely to persecute Newcastle United. But do you think one of Newcastle's top players will be sold, if not this transfer window, in the summer? The profit and sustainability rules have been there. You know, financial fair play, they've been renamed as profit and sustainability rules. And they have been there. But what was changed, Ian, uh, if you remember, shortly after the takeover, is they stopped briefly all all, uh, sponsorship deals related to um, the owners which did, wasn't something that bothered Chelsea and certainly not Manchester City where shortly after their takeover. So Newcastle were actually have been prevented from funneling money in from Saudi Arabia as well. Now, those rules were yes. changed. So they, they were stopped from doing that. And they now have to prove fair market value, which is a very yes. laborious task. And it's, and it's slowing them down in terms of announcing their sponsorship deals because they have to produce all this evidence to to prove that they're getting fair market value. Um, do I think one of the top players will be sold? I think eventually, yes. Um, I mean, Bruno Gamieres, for me, the fact he signed a new contract with a release clause in it um, suggests that Newcastle are protecting their asset, um, which is sensible. Um, he's Brazilian. I've said this many, many times before. I don't, he's not, you're living in cloud cookie land if you think Bruno's going to spend the, his entire career playing for Newcastle United. He's not. He's going to want to go, hmm. he's going to want to go to another club at some point. So I would think Eddie Howe would be loath to lose Sven Botman. I think he'd be loath to lose Alexander Isak. I think he would be loath to lose Joe Linton. I think they, you know, they will need to get Joe Linton's contract signed down because they're moving into the last, I think, 18 months now of his deal. So that is a problem for them as well. But yeah, if anyone's going to go, it'll be Bruno. But I think a little bit too much has been made of this. Newcastle will try and sell players who aren't the crown jewels. They will try and sell a Jacob Murphy. Um, They'll try and sell, you know, I don't think, I know know how I was talked positively about him today, but I don't think someone like Sean Longstaff is necessarily safe long-term. Then you've Mm -hmm. got someone like Elliot Anderson. they, They will try and sell squad players first and you can sell two or three squad players make the 50 million pounds 60 million pounds and that will help them with ffp as well so i don't think it's a given that they're going to sell one of their best players they are obviously Mm -hmm. going to be vulnerable if somebody activates bruno's 
release clause. That's just a, that's a fundamental fact. We've known that for months. So I don't think that anything Darren Hill said yesterday was particularly earth shattering. I think he was just saying out loud what we've already known for you know probably 12 18 months Darren Ashworth said exactly the same thing before Christmas that's right I mean I know that Jamal Lascelles uh, agent has had calls from Turkey I think Besiktas and, and an unnamed club over there are he's both looking one, at yeah. the Lascelles he's yeah yeah he's yeah. another one who's done very well as a squad player and you know they've got Matt Target as well don't forget you've got Manquil mm-hmm. um, they haven't found buyers for most of the dross that they inherited from the Ashley era um, and that has been a drain on resources as well because they eat up huge chunks of the wage bill. Um, the likes of Isaac Hayden, um, uh, Hendrick, uh, Manquillo, uh, Kraft to an extent. So these yes. players, they but it is the likes of Lascelles, Target, people like this who've, who've played. That's who I think they're more likely to move in the summer. There'll be players you don't necessarily, you'll feel sad that they've gone because they've done a great job. But I think they, Eddie Howe's going to have to be ruthless, I think, in the summer. And we haven't yes, seen that side. You're going to have to tell players, sorry, you're not going to play and you're up for sale. Let's just home in, Luke, on, on the two Brazilians. Now, mm. we've talked about Bruno Guimaraes, who is undoubtedly the, the, the biggest saleable asset. Having said that, I would say his good friend Joe Linton is Newcastle's most influential player. Maybe in the transfer market, he wouldn't get uh, raise as much cash as as. But we will see tomorrow just how big a miss he is. And I would I would argue that he is Newcastle. He's the player Newcastle miss more than anyone else when he's out of the side. I, I think they're too open when he's not there in midfield. I think his physicality yeah. and being able to shut yes. down counter-attacks. And he bullies, he bullies teams as well. I mean, he, oh, he's, he's a, he's a tremendous a physical player, yes. Yeah, um, and if you you know, he's remarkable that he was signed as a number nine. Um, but he, you know, the the, the transfer. I know I totally agree with you. I think they do miss him, and I think if Joel Linton's not in the team, there is probably a case for changing the way they play a little bit in terms of do you just sit somebody in front of the back four? Does Longstaff hold back and just you know attack less, particularly away from home? I think. Yes. Attack left yeah. and just shield the back four or cover the fullbacks when they're they're going forward. So I think Joel Linton will be a huge miss, and I think they do need to get that new contract for Joel Linton sorted. They really do. That's right. I mean, if, if you can remember back to a, f- a few weeks after Eddie Howe arrived, and and Eddie Howe deserves enormous credit for the way he's improved players, but he will admit himself that that game against Norwich when Kieran Clark got himself sent off, and it was yes. more by accident yeah. than design when Eddie Howe had to move Jolinton into midfield and suddenly discovered that a a misfit striker was became a midfielder who I think that game our our friend and colleague Craig Hope described as Patrick Vieira like and I think we all we all took the mick out out of Craig for a week or two but within a month we thought you've got a point there. Yeah he is he's a he's a sort of Yaya Torre Patrick Vieira type player and don't forget he's got himself into the full senior Brazil squad now playing yes. in midfield Deserved didn't get himself. a stick of it as a striker um, so yeah it has been you know and you know some some, some of all the great designs or inventions have been stumbled upon by accident haven't they and yes I think the reinvention of, of Joel Linton as, a, as an all action box to box midfielder and I'll tell you the other player they've missed Ian and we've hardly seen him this season it's Joe Willock Joe Willock does stuff. He can run with the ball at speed in a way that no one else in that team can since St. Maximum. Um, 
to maximum left. And I think they've missed him really, really badly. We don't know how much they've missed Harvey Barnes because he, he's barely played for Newcastle. But mm-hmm. I think Joe Willock has been sorely missed as well. Um, and I just, I mean, this season, you're all, you know, you don't want to write it off. But I think anybody who thinks they're, you know, I thought they would never get Champions League football this season anyway. I didn't expect them to with, with the extra burdens of Europe, etc. But, you know, I think a top eight finish now is all they can really hope for, I think. And, and, and hope, you know, hope and pray that they, they, you know, they can progress in the FA Cup and, and reach the latter rounds of that competition as well. Yeah, look, I mean, weeks and weeks ago, I said there will be a pretty decent side that finishes ninth and therefore missing out yeah. on Europe in the league and uh, and that side could be Newcastle it won't make them a bad side but what a lot of fans have forgotten is that last season was exceptional in that three of the elite i.e. Liverpool Chelsea and Spurs had disastrous seasons now two of them are clearly going to have very good seasons it's there's still time for Chelsea to come and with a, a coach like Pochettino and the players they have, he has got at his disposal. I don't rule out a late surge for Chelsea. But, you know, even if Newcastle finish 8th or ninth, it won't be a disaster. They will still be punching above their weight. And before fat listeners get at me for that, Newcastle's average position in the history is 11th. 11th. Newcastle have never been a side who have... And if you look at their wage p- bill, and still, well, if you look ex- at their wage exactly. bill, still, it's, I think it's, a, it's below West Ham, it's below Everton, um, it's below, well below Aston Villa. Their wage bill yeah. is still mid-table Premier League club. And unfortunately, the mean, you return to the mean eventually with how much money you're paying players. I mean, you can have good seasons above above expectations. I'd say it'll be interesting, though. Newcastle's had horrendous injury problems, as we know. Mm-hmm. Now, it's interesting yes. that West Ham suddenly picked up a load of injuries. Now, they've had a good season, West Ham. But yes. how are they going to be able to cope without Paqueta, without Bowen, without Antonio, without Judas, who's gone to the African Cup of Nations? So Newcastle have coped with their injuries remarkably well, really. But their season unravelled in December when they played 10 games in 30 days with the same 11 players, 11, 12 players. That, that, that is when it all caught up with them. Until then, until the start of December, when they beat Manchester United at home, if you remember... Eddie Howe was doing a brilliant job of managing to mask the fact that they had so many players missing, but it just yes. it was all too much in January. And I think you saw against Sunderland, they are going to benefit in the second half of the season from having a week to prepare for games. And that's the conditions they had last season. I think even with the injuries, they should a a they should pick up less injuries because they're playing less and the and the stress stress putting too much stress on their bodies. But if they can get some players back at the start of February and keep them fit and then have those conditions of playing once a week or once every five or six days, I think you'll see you'll see a much you much more Eddie Howe Newcastle. And of course, uh, let's talk about Manchester City. They've coped pretty well without who I consider the most creative player in Europe, in uh, Kevin De Bruyne, who will be starting his first game uh, tomorrow evening. Yeah, he will. Um, they've missed John Stones, though, haven't they, at times this season? Yes. They're, they're without Haaland at the moment. But Manchester City have got the biggest, deepest squad in the Premier League. And I, I, People question that, but they have. They have two players for every position who are of... Maybe not De Bruyne. Maybe De Bruyne is the one player they really miss. Maybe Haaland they really, really miss. But they've still got Alvarez. They've still got, you yes. know, they, they have, they, they of all the teams in the Premier League, they probably have two players for every position who are of a, a sort of level. You're talking, you can maybe split them a little bit, 
but they are of, of, of sort of equal quality. That is why they have been the dominant force in English football for so long. They do that by having a turnover of £750 million. They do that by having the best manager in the world, the most highest paid manager in the world. Um, and there are obviously questions surrounding them because they have 115 outstanding charges. Of course, they, they've denied all wrongdoing with that. But that is how they've managed to build their dominance of English football. And Newcastle yes. do not have, by any stretch of the imagination, two players of an equal quality for every position. Nowhere near it. I agree. It's prediction time now, Luke. Now, despite a very, very impressive debut on my show a few months ago, your predictions were almost as bad as mine. Now, right. uh, we'll, we'll ask you predictions. I haven't given mine yet. And I'm afraid to say, I believe... I, it's the first time... I've said that this season, but uh, I think all three of our sides could lose tomorrow. I don't think they'll lose badly, but I think they could be edged out. Sunderland at Ipswich, Middlesbrough at Millwall, and Newcastle at home to Manchester City. So, come on, cheer our listeners up, because I'm a right miserable. Okay, okay, I'm going to go... I do fear you're right, Ian. I do fear you're right, because I think that trip for Sunderland to Ipswich... Is tough. The one thing I will say about that one is Ipswich have just shown a few signs of faltering, and I think Sunderland are better in games against teams that let them play, teams that want to mm-hmm. play an open game. Fair point. So, so I'm going to go with Sunderland to pull off a shock draw at Ipswich. I'm going to go for Newcastle to lose, and it's Middlesbrough Millwall, isn't it? Um, I'm going to go for. I'll go for a draw there as well. Right, you go for the draw. I just think, you know, Middlesbrough still have their injuries. Of course, Latte Lat isn't there. He was so impressive coming on as a substitute against Aston Villa. And I did fear the worst for Borough when he, um, he he hobbled off within, I think, 10 minutes of the start, wasn't it, on Tuesday night? Yeah. Uh, Coburn. Coburn, he, he's a player. The word putting in a shift comes to mind he when you watch Jim Coburn. But he's a decent player, but I don't see evidence that he can, he's anything more than a 60-minute player. He struggles for stamina after the hour mark yeah. because he's such a hard worker. So I've I've got a feeling it, it could be a pretty frugal weekend for the northeast clubs well, but happy, happy I think... weekend to you too as well that's a lovely Friday <laughs> it's, it's I, I know. but hey hey listen listen i i give Middlesbrough every chance of reaching a Wembley final i think Sunderland will be pushing for the playoffs right until the final game of the season and of course Newcastle with a manager like Eddie Howe you know they they'll never be short of a inverted commas crisis but also you know Newcastle are an upwardly mobile club and they'll stay that way whatever they finish this season. So, you know, I, yeah, I'm not exactly. a total pessimist. No, thank you. That's, that's good to know. And I think what Newcastle fans, again, just need to realise, if they don't spend any money in January, I know people are clamouring for them to do it, it will mean that they've got more to spend in the summer. And they're also going to have the Adidas deal, the seller deal, the Champions League extra income. So, I don't think this this paralysis is going to last beyond this window, to be honest with you. I think if they don't spend anything in January, that that gives them much more to play with in the in the far more sensible window of January, of the of the summer. And and also, I mean, you know, we we are all obsessed with with spending money, aren't we? Especially Newcastle with the with the millions. But 
you know, a lot's made of Sunderland having the youngest the youngest squad in all four divisions. But that Newcastle squad is, isn't particularly old. OK, you know, the likes of Trippier to, to Ravka are the, the, on the wrong side of 30. But Miley's only going to go be- get better. Longstaff hasn't reached his peak. Gordon is, is only in his early 20s. You know, Isaac is, is, is young. He's you know, so, only 20, yeah, so yeah, Willock's still young. Bottom, yeah. That's right. So, yeah. you know, Newcastle, you know, let, let's Live just say, for, yeah. for argument's sake, yeah. Newcastle didn't buy anyone come kickoff time in August. Then you wouldn't rule out them having another good season. So, no, you know, and it's the, not all about money. Thing is they are going to spend in the summer. They are. They will spend in yes. the summer. So they, they will improve the squad. And they probably didn't do enough last summer. But again, FFB was a problem for them then. So, and Sunderland's. I mean, Sunderland's wage bill is one of the smallest in the Championship as well, which I don't think people are universally aware of. They're, they have certainly. I think it's bottom half of the table. Their 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 oh, Championship. They are. So I mean, for I, them, I'm not six, gonna... they're, they're still part of all the all the perceived sort of unrest or problems with Mowbray going and the unhappiness with Bill being appointed. They're still punching above their weight and they can still have an, an excellent season. They've still got every chance they, of promotion. In so. terms of wages of punching above the weight, in terms of pedigree and the size of the club, Sunderland should be top 10 in, in, in the Premier League. But yeah, they, they, the board, I, I like the model. They talk about incremental steps, but those incremental steps, I wish they weren't quite so tiny. You know, I think fans would be shocked if they knew the wages Ross Stewart was on when he left Sunderland. I'm not going to dial those yes. because because I was I was told it off the record. But yeah, I mean Sunderland are not big payers at the moment. They will need. No, that'll to be keep a problem su- for them because club players will, will want to leave. It will well. be a problem. That's, that that is where they're going to get. That's where the model may well come unstuck because they'll want to keep players, but then and to get sell them for top dollar. But you know, players can players can also force moves, and if they you know people like Jack Park get wind of league club wanting them. And lots yeah, of well, we're, we're coming. We're coming to the end of the show. Look, you've been as entertaining okay. as ever, and uh, I look I'll forward to having you, you on again. Uh, so, anyway, it's going to be a miserable weekend if you listen to me. But if you listen to my guests, it's going to be a slightly better weekend for our northeast <laughs> clubs. So <laughs> let's hope they're right. All the best, I'm Martin. wrong. Great Friday. Yeah. Right. Take care. Bye bye, and uh, we'll see you all bye. next week. Bye bye.